Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm still Albert Imperata. <laughs> where we help men communicate and build empathy. Season two of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Standard and Strange, where the clothes and the people are anything but ordinary, and the motto is own fewer, better things. All right, Albert, it's, uh, it's been a minute uh, this year, but we are back in action. Um, there's been a ton going on with my life with the the move, um, but not that much excitement. Um, so I'm I'm channeling you over there, man. How's uh, upstate been? And uh, please tell me you've done something more exciting than uh, pack boxes and unpack them in the last two weeks. <laughs> no, actually, it was uh, it was um, really cold, uh, snowy win- uh, weather for a couple of weeks, and for fir- for the first time in a long time, I went multiple days in a row without leaving the house, which is really unusual for me. And um, it was cozy and I liked it just fine, but I was beginning to feel really weird. And I have to admit today, it, the temperature is over freezing for the first time in like three weeks. And I went out, I swear to God, I felt like I was in Florida. I'm like, oh my God, it's 39 <laughs> balmy degrees. And I sat in the, sta- in, the, in the bleachers at the ball field and I was pretending it was a, sp- a spring day. It just put me in a mood of, guess what? Spring is going to come. This virus is going away. We're all going to party. This sucky 2020 shadow that like casts itself into 2021, it's going to pass. And then we're all going to be wiser and better people. At least that's the hope. Yeah. So anyway, I was in a good mood today. That is great, man. Yeah, and it's it good to like, see you. I don't like when we miss a week taping. I feel like I know. something's missing. I know, man. It, it's uh, It's been interesting living out of boxes and, and stuff like that for a little bit. But I feel you, man. I mean, dude, like I look outside, there's still two feet of snow out there. Uh, I spent a day shoveling. Uh, it, it's, it's been, it's been an adventure, uh, in that respect, but yeah, yesterday was 40 and sunny and I just took a walk outside. Um, and it was awesome. I loved it. I loved every second of it. I couldn't go hiking. All the, all the trails still had a, a ton of snow on them. Um, uh, but I still got outside and I just still enjoyed it. I saw people snowshoeing. That was cool. And I was like, oh, all right, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should do that one time, but well, eh, I don't yeah, know. <laughs> still calendar, you know, whatever it is, five, six weeks of calendar, calendar time of winter. And we're coming up on, this is 11 months coming up, uh, at yeah. the house. So that's 11 months since this whole craziness started. So we're all coming up on a year and let's hope it's, that's going to be the end of it. And we, we can uh, move on to the next phase of our civilization. Uh, anyway, speaking of civilization, um, I don't know, that's like not really an appropriate uh, segue for anything really, but this is a guest today who, unlike some of our previous guests is, was known by both of us before uh, we invited him on the show. And most of the time, one of the guests know one of us much better. Uh, and th- this time, actually, I'm not sure which of us has spe- uh, spent more time chatting with Angel. Uh, he's he's a, a storyteller. He's a communicator. So it doesn't surprise me that you had a relationship already with Angel. But but uh, have you you've talked to him for a long, long time? You guys know each other for a while? Yeah, it's, I feel like it's been, I don't know, a little over a year or so that we've been um, talking to each other. Um, you know, uh, he's, he was one of the first people that, um, did some of those, uh, just vocal recordings. Um, and then I put those up, uh, in my IGTV. So he did, um, a few of those, um, the, the, what is hate one is, is the one that really, uh, struck me on there. Um, we've talked, we've chatted, uh, we did a little music action for a little bit and, uh, 
you know, just our, our good friends. Um, I'm lucky to be one of the people that uh, got one of his belts too early on. I'm still still working on that thing. That is a beast. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know how to tame it. It's it's the it's the biggest veg tan one. So I, I'm still getting uh, still getting strangled by this belt every time I put it on, man. <laughs> so so our friend uh, Angel lives out in Arizona. Many of you listening probably know him. He's also a big uh, uh, fa- part of the family of the podcast. He's listened, given a lot of feedback, but we're, we're happy to have him here for the first time talking to us. So for the people who don't know Angel, I'm going to ask Adam to give you a little intro to our guest today. Angel Luis Rios III began his journey on December 10th, 1986 in the Coney Island Hospital. Husband to Jenny Cologne and father to four incredibly wonderful children, Angel learned the importance of accountability and real responsibility at a young age. A seemingly daunting mix of traumatic life experiences shape Angel's story. They come together with even a larger serving of wisdom, love, deep appreciation for gratitude, that and a long healing process. Angel has recently began to explore and thrive in a community where creativity and personal growth is celebrated with very little room for negativity. He and his family now reside in a Southern Arizona cul-de-sac home where he makes cool belts, wears cool boots, tortures his denim and enjoys uh, every day close to the family. He calls it enjoying the fruits of family. Angel, thanks so much for coming on. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys. Thank you too for having me. And more importantly, thank you both for just creating this, uh, this podcast, this, this platform that you guys are using, creating a, a place for, for men and women to communicate, build empathy. That's, that is, that's incredible. And, I, and I'm so glad to be part of this, um, you know, as a listener and now, you know, <laughs> a guest. So thanks for having me, guys. Well, you, you really are part of the family. Family is clearly a, a serious theme uh, in, in what you talk about and what you've sent us to talk about. Uh, of all of our guests, um, who we, you're the first who ever sent us a complete outline of the show in advance, which I absolutely loved. Um, I took that as, um, here's a person who has a sense of the narrative of his own life. So I'm going to ask you a question at the beginning, which you could also, instead, you can pass on and answer at the end. And my question is, what would the title of your memoir be to date? If you wrote your memoir today, what do you think the title might be? Now, you don't have to answer it now. You can if something pops in your brain, or we can, we can put a name on it later. Challenge accepted. Great title. Great yeah. title for a memoir. Is that really the title, or did you just <laughs> accept that's, the challenge to pick a that's title? That's the first thing that came to mind, man. That's Challenge that's accepted. Okay, that's, that's the headline of the show. Tell us about that just real quick as we go into your, into your story. Okay. Challenge accepted. Um, I, I, I think I would credit that to my mom raising me uh, from a young age, always teaching me how, in, uh, how just unimportant it is to worry about what other people think. Uh, she always, you know, I had, okay, for instance, I had a pair of sandals. I really like these sandals. We got them from the Reebok, uh, 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 outlet and my mom's like where are these and I was like no and she's like I, I was like because they're ugly and I'll get made fun of even though I love them she's like don't worry about what those other kids say they just they're mad because they're not styling you know just little things like that my mom always gave me little stuff like that to kind of 
mentally prepare me for, you know, just accept the challenge. You know, there's, there's, there's really nothing to be afraid of in life. There's so many challenges. If you turn into an, if you turn any little hardship or any little, uh, you know, any little thing that you're, you're not so comfortable with, turn it into a challenge, accept the challenge, go all in, man, you know, try to be smart about it, obviously be selective, but I mean, accept those challenges because there's so much more gifts that come with, with a challenge that, you know, when you see it through to the end and you're like, you, you get a real sense of accomplishment, you know? So well, I have, I have to say, I always enjoy your posts because you look like you are just having the time of your life. It could just be standing outside in that desert sun in Arizona and whatever task, it seems like you're always doing a task out in that backyard of yours. And, but there's always, almost always a big smile on that face. Even now as we're talking, uh, clearly you're, you know, you talk a lot about gratitude. Uh, clearly you're a person who, who is savoring the experience of living. Let's go back to, to your mom. You mentioned what she said to you when you were young. Where, where did you grow up? You, you told us you moved around a lot as a kid. Yeah, yeah. And so I was born in Brooklyn, New York. When I was five, my, I, have, I have one older sister, my parents, we moved to Arizona. I actually turned, uh, we, we used a budget truck. I moved, I turned five in Amarillo, Texas, in some little hotel. And my mom actually, my mom's a badass. Okay, so we were Jehovah's Witnesses. I was born as a Jehovah's Witness. My mom snuck us off to a Waffle House in the parking lot of the hotel so we could celebrate my birthday. And if you know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, that's not allowed. Like celebrating birthdays, that's not allowed. So, um, so you know, both we, of your parents, both of your parents were Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Yeah. I was born as, yeah, I was born into it basically. Um, but yeah, moved to Arizona, uh, when I was five and, uh, parents divorced sometime when, uh, you know, during middle school, ended up moving back to Pennsylvania with my mom, which is where she grew up and, uh, met my wife in high school, you know, then, uh, moved well you know you met your wife in high school yeah met my wife in high school and pennsylvania she, i was the new kid and then she was the new kid after me so you know she caught my attention where in pennsylvania were you uh bethlehem allentown kind of like right in the middle there Please, Mr. Adam, tell us where that is vis-a-vis -vis Pittsburgh. Which is where <laughs> that you is wow. like in That's the far. opposite direction. Yeah, that is way closer <laughs> yeah. to Philadelphia, um, yes. like New Jersey, New York City. So he was he was close uh, to the East Coast um, by like five hours from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're like 25 minutes out of Philly. So, well, that city is. So, but yeah, no, we moved a lot. Uh, parents divorced and I moved to California with my dad, you know, when I was... I don't know, 12, lived there for two years. Uh, oh, and that was before we moved back to Pennsylvania with my mom. Uh, yeah, I, I had a little bit more of a drawn out, you know, kind of way to explain it all. But, and then we ended up moving to Arizona about seven years ago. I mean, you say we, you're talking about you and your wife? Mm -hmm. And three kids at the time. And, and, th <laughs> and three kids. Yeah, yeah. You told us that you related to a previous episode you said mentioned uh, the episode with Tristan Chamberlain, I think. Yeah, Tristan. You said something a, about being a social chameleon growing up. How did that? How what what made you uh, tell us that little that little uh, phrase? 
Yeah, Tr- shout out to Tristan, man. What a special guy, huh? Uh, yeah, so social chameleon. At From the age of five, I'm already experiencing a, a type of culture shock, which it only it only affects you so much at that age. But um, experiencing that and learning how the different dialect is and how, you know, the different way people talk. And then, uh, you know, further on down the line, leaving leaving the the organization, the Jehovah's Witness organization, and you know, experiencing, uh, finally experiencing like what it is to be able to celebrate uh, holidays, you know, at the age of eleven. That's another type of culture shock. And what were some of the issues then growing up in terms of? getting along with others, what was being, I mean, your, your entire family left Jehovah's Witness or just you when you were 11? We, uh, we all kind of just stopped going, you know, we were still young, my sister and I, we stopped going, everybody just stopped going. Soon after that, my, my dad actually showed up to school, middle school with my sister and just let us know, Hey, uh, mom and dad are taking a break. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that kind of makes sense. That's why we're not going to church anymore. And uh, from that point on, that was actually, that year was actually very eventful. That year, I, uh, that was my first year playing uh, Little League Baseball, uh, which I, I loved and enjoyed so much. Um, I was also diagnosed with diabetes at that time, you know? Um, wow. But at that time, my parents were the coolest parents ever. My dad was taking me to the skate park. My mom was taking me to the skate park just being the most fun parents they've ever been. So I'm like, this is actually not bad that my parents are breaking up. They're actually being really cool. Uh, <laughs> this is you in middle, middle school years. Yeah, yeah, 11, 12, yep, yep. Well, I work with a cellist, a world-renowned cellist who is, was a type one diabetic. I mean, that, that's, that alone, was that a, a enormously traumatic discovery? Was it like a health thing that set it off that made people that made you realize that you had a you had a health thing what what because it was kind of on the late side no middle school's a little on the late side you know yeah it's they call type one is like a juvenile diabetes and yeah it's usually found in your own juvenile years uh i was third base first string first game of the season and i had to take a piss i had to take a leak I had to tell coach, coach, time out. I got to take a piss. So like the, the weeks before that, I was, I was napping more than usual. I was drinking. I was extremely thirsty. And lo and behold, I mean, my favorite drink was orange juice. I'm drinking orange juice, which is raising my blood sugar, which makes you tired. And I was taking naps. And so I just thought it was, I didn't think anything of it. But my dad was like, this isn't normal. You know, my dad was at the game. Took me to the doctor the next day. Coach was so pissed because I called timeout. I ran. Everybody's watching me run over to the to the John and run back. Okay, play ball. And I'm like, okay, much better now. Thank you guys. Sorry, that was embarrassing. And uh, yeah, I ended up in the hospital for what two, three weeks or something like that. It was a while that I was in there. Um, you know, just, just running blood tests and stuff like that. Um, meetings with nutritionists and and, and uh, you know all these professionals. Um, my, my old baseball team met, uh, visited me in the hospital, big old card. My, my teacher, who was my baseball coach, apologized. I'm sorry, man. You know, I was 
sorry about that. That wasn't very nice of me and understanding. It was cool. It wasn't, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't really scary. I do remember that uh, my dad took me to an urgent care and it was uh, the blood uh, urine test and they checked my, uh, no, they didn't check my ketones. I, or I didn't have ketones in my blood or my, my urine, but uh, my blood sugar was, I think four something, 400 and something, which is very high. You should be between 80 and 120. And so, yeah, you have diabetes. And my dad just looked him, my dad and I just looked at each other like, okay, what does that mean? I've heard it. What does that mean again? So, you know, it was just a learning process from that time. Um, I had to ask you about it just because I work with uh, Elisa Weilerstein is her name. She's literally one of the greatest cellists on the planet today. And that's a big, she does a lot of work with JDRF. And I've been, I've been lately organizing a lot of events with her and doing fundraising. So I'm, I'm really interested. I work you know, I'm just hearing her stories and seeing what she does and seeing her activism. Um, I'm, I'm really curious. Um, I'm going to have to send you a link. I'll, I'll send you a link to her, her Bach album, which is one of the greatest things you'll ever hear. So, so you meet your high school. I mean, you fall in love in high school. Like you just fell in love in high school. Fell hard. Oh <laughs> gosh. I can't even, I can't even understand how much sense it made. Like today, my wife, is my name is Angel, but my wife, she is heaven sent, you know, she's, and it was all in disguise. My first time hanging out with her, she came over to the house and it was my sister's turn to do dishes. I remember that. She leaves off on a date with her, with her friend. And I'm like, you were supposed to do dishes. What are you doing? Mom's going to be so pissed. Here's, here comes Jenny. It's all right, babe. Let's, let's do it together. And like, she calmed me down. I was all hot. I was all hot. And I was like, oh, what the, what the hell, man? Asshole, I'm going to get yelled at now. And uh, she's like, no, let's, let's just do it. And we did dishes together. And I was like, wow, she is so kind. Um, she's, you know, my wife, she's like, well, I say she's heaven sent because she spent her whole life interpreting for her parents who are both hearing impaired. They're both deaf. And, uh, she also has a little sister with, uh, with, uh, I almost said Alzheimer's, but she has uh, Down syndrome and uh, she's, they both, they all three of them, they live with us. And she's, I mean, she's just so special. I, I can't even put it into words. The amount of patience she has, because not only is she reading my, my in-laws mail, you know, but she's helping them with so many things in life and dealing with me, the world's biggest child and our other four children. So just what a special person and um, dealing with all the trauma that I, you know, experience and all the, like the PTSD and stuff like that. It's, it's really. Uh, well, we're going to get to that in a moment. Yeah. Tell us just a little bit more. So your, your um, wife is full-time at home, taking care of family pretty much. Or is she-, she works from home. You know, she works from home too, uh, with the two-year-old in tow. That's, that's her tail is our two-year-old. <laughs> uh, yeah, me and Adam were just talking about that. And, you know, the two-year-old, he's, 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 a, he's a real handful and he's very vocal when he wants something. So, And all the kids are going to school. We've got a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a two-year-old. The older three are all going, uh, doing their studies from home, virtual learning. And uh, it's, it's definitely a task uh, doing that. I don't, you know, you have I'm, a lot going on in that house and yeah. there's a lot of activity and a lot of people and a lot of, oh, yeah. 
a lot of no, care no being given. No, but you, no downtime. No downtime. You it's a lot of fun. Really give off the vibe of someone who never complains about anything, who never I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, we all feel that we all go to a place where we feel sorry for ourselves and feel a little bit beaten down by it all, but none of that ever emerges from you in a conversation or in a in a po post that you do. I'm just curious. I mean, is this just like a choice of yours? Like I'm an optimist and I'm a positive human being and it's a choice and I'm going to power through, power through everything. Is that just, That's, that, is, that is absolutely a choice. It, it has to be. Um, we can all dwell on the negative things. We can all dwell on uh, what we don't have, what we can't do. But I mean, is that really serving you? I mean, ask yourself, all you guys, if you dwell on the things you can't do, the things you don't have, is it really serving you? You know, to, to not, not so much dwell, but complain about it rather than maybe take a first step into uh, trying something to, to, so that you're not the guy that can't do that, you know? Well, ask yourself, have you really tried to do something that you can't do? So um, there's, I guess it all started from an early age. You know, those doctors in the hospital, they told me, you're going you're gonna to have to take, you know, insulin your whole life. But that doesn't mean you can't do all the things you've already enjoyed doing, you know. Um, so I've always kind of understood what it is to have multiple plates spinning and, you know. You said you had it for your first kid when you were in, a junior in high school. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, right away, that was, I mean, that was time to go to work, you know, let's, let's go. And I've had, I've had jobs before. I've had little part-time after school jobs for buying sneakers and stuff. But uh, this was like, yeah, let, let's get that 40 hours in. I was working 30, almost 35 hours a week and uh, still going to school full-time, you know? So it was, it was, it was, a, it, was a, it was definitely a handful. Um, it was definitely a challenge, you know, which I accepted. One of the first real challenges I accepted. I mean, obviously your mom was the great inspiration. You have a wife that it was a gift from heaven to you. So clearly, you know, God's looking down on, on whatever the order of people he looked down on and brought beautiful people full of light and goodness together. And you guys are a family and it's a beautiful thing. And, and I just want to, you know, you very quietly threw in the phrase PTSD, our last guest was served in Afghanistan and had monumental change in, in the direction of his life with PTSD. What was the, what was the cause of your PTSD? If we can go there, give us, set us up and what, what happened? So my best friend in middle school, we rollerbladed, we spent the night at each other's houses. You know, that one friend that you guys always hang out together. Uh, he lives in an apartment complex with the pool in the middle. And uh, we were playing water guns right before we got in the pool. And uh, my one buddy's cleaning the pool out, getting all the leaves out. And all of a sudden, uh, so we're waiting for the one dude to uh, go get changed and join us. It was going to be a total of four of us. And I don't know, we're just a huge bang, okay? That, not the Big Bang Theory bang, but another one. Um, one of our friends shot our other friend right in the head with his dad's pistol uh it was an accident it was a careless act of you know um you know maybe maybe the parents didn't teach gun safety i don't know um he got he had his friends his dad's gun and, and shot him it was a complete accident you know so you heard this but didn't see it oh we i okay saw the big bang uh right reflexes he was probably 20 feet from us and i looked and 
his head, top of his head was gone. You know, he hits the floor, you know? Um, and we, we didn't know what happened at first. We didn't know that it was our other buddy. Um, we climbed the fence, we ran into the apartment and then that's, you know, we called our parents, both of our, well, his mom was at work. My mom was at work. You know, we called our moms. Yeah, something happened, something happened. Um, and you know, we had the dad come, the dad came out as we were the victims. Dad came out, um, it was like two, two apartments right next to each other. You know, those two, uh, those two kids, they were our friends. It was, it was four of us that were friends. Um, that was, that was crazy. I mean, I had to go to court and all this stuff and kind of point to my friend. That was him. Yeah. It's a massive, massive tragedy. I mean, that is just an absolutely horrible, horrible thing. I I didn't want to get graphic. I'm sorry for showing, you know, this is what happened. This is what happened. You're just telling us the story. You told me the story one night amidst a whole other bunch of stories that you told. And I have to admit, there were details that I didn't really get clearly. So this is the first time actually for me that I'm hearing that whole story so clearly. And I just can't even imagine. I mean, you, to go from the fun of being with your best buddies hanging around in a pool to like learning a, a, about the darkest part of life that there's possibility of, of sudden change, an accident, a terrible like tragedy that. overnight. So that, uh, th- that period just must've just in a way, it's not going to ever leave you, but clearly that must've just shaken you to, to your roots. It did. It did. Uh, again, my mom came to the rescue. Uh, she actually took me to the lake that day. It was still, it was early in the day. And, uh, she said, let's go to the lake. We, she got her friends together and uh, got the jet skis out on the lake. And I, I had some terrible flashbacks when I was underwater that day. I remember that much. Um, and this is in Pennsylvania? I'm he, I'm no, that just, was here. That was here in Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so what happened? Go back to the lake. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, no, that's fine. We just, uh, I just said, mom came to the rescue. She, you know, to get my mind off of it, let's go to the lake. You know, um, you know, reporters, my mom came home from, came from work to pick me up and there was reporters, cops, everybody was out there, yellow tape everywhere. And, uh, yeah, I guess my adrenaline's pumping right now, but yeah, I remember that. I, the, uh, we had to turn down the reporter that was like cutting. She was standing in the walkway, the only exit out of the apartment complex and was asking for questions. And my mom's like, please get the F out of the way. And uh, she just, she can't, I mean, that was, yeah. There's nothing to say. I mean, that is uh, an extremely traumatic event and anyone who would go through that is going to have a tough time. Um, Man, I mean, there's just so much there that it, it's it's tough to unpack. But you know, from such a small age, you know, uh, to now, I mean, how, how have you lived with that? Like, how what's what's been the the progress? I mean, there was said a, a long a long road uh, to recovery. Um, tell us about it. Honestly, I think I was still pretty young in the fact that um, it wasn't too hard to process. You know, there was obviously we had time to, to take it in. Um, there was a court case. We had to show up and kind of testify, which was I think that was probably the only hard part, um, which all the parents were very supportive. Um, what was the court? The court case was what? It wasn't a criminal case, though. No, 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 it wasn't. Well, I guess he was tried as a, as a juvenile, but, you know, he didn't he didn't go do any time. It was justified. It was a, a deemed an, an accident. accident. Yeah, it yeah was I'm surprised there's a trial in an accident, though. That's wild. 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess our, my only job was to identify my friend, you know what I mean? Uh, which was probably the hardest part, but uh, it, honestly, I don't think I, 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 I wouldn't discount it. I wouldn't say I didn't experience PTSD from that. You know, of course I did, but uh, I, I would say that's probably on the less impactful side of the things that in my life that I've experienced, you know, do, do we need to get, do we need to go there to get the full picture? I mean, what, what are you referring to? You mentioned no. there some other. You know, I wouldn't say much visit visually graphic, but, uh, you know, the, the real, the real big bang is, uh, getting shot in high school, getting shot in high school. It was, uh, okay. When I was 18, I, I got a little settlement, like a little medical settlement for some miss uh doctors give me the wrong medicine and stuff so i actually bought myself <laughs> a big old fat chain as an 18 year old I- idiot don't move whatever um some guy i guess apparently some guys saw it from down the block i was walking and um here i am you know and i had a few beers i'm not gonna lie i had two beers where, where are we now what city this is allentown pennsylvania allentown yeah and this was april 12th April 12th, I remember, 2005. And so we had a... Okay, so I spot two guys crossing the street that I was getting ready to intersect, and um, I didn't think anything of it. However, I I guess I did, because I tucked my chain in. So, uh, I, you know, I kind of... It was, like I said, two blocks down. So by the time I got to that block, I had already forgotten about them. But they hadn't forgotten about me. I turned the corner and they were right there. Uh, Glock 40 pointed at me and um, I remember just kind of like, oh man, here it is. This is it. This is, <laughs> this is what we all been waiting for. Um, and so they're like, you know, run your shit, yeah, blah, 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 this and that. Um, I, and mind you, I had liquid courage. I'm 18. I, I'm invincible. And these kids are, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to, trying to scare me, but I, wasn't I guess I wasn't scared I don't know I don't know what was going through my mind I was I was in shock but I wasn't like in fear so I'm like what do I do I don't know what to do at this point so I just I I didn't take my eyes off of them I kind of moved my way past them and my my house is literally like 300 feet away my front door and I'm like I moved past them they didn't stop me they kind of just had it pointed toward me and they were following me at that time but I'm you know I'm walking backwards past them and they, you know, they see that I'm kind of challenging them. And so the guy kind of swings, tries to like swing around and like postures as he's, as he's going to swing. So I put my hands up and he sees that I'm a little bit bigger than him. So he, he's like, pop him, pop me. So he shot me. Uh, the, the guy with the gun shot me and, uh, I had dog tags. I had like these sterling silver dog tags, not my big gold chain, but it was a stupid little thing. I, I ripped that off and I kind of like slid it to them on the floor as I was falling. They picked it up and they just, they just left. And so they shot me right through my Achilles tendon, um, which wasn't completely severed, but I had to regrow it. And um, I guess that was, that was, that, I think that was probably the biggest thing that gave me PTSD, you know, it was gun violence and, you know, victim of gun violence, you know. Did they say to you though, give us your chain? Did they just, was it? Run your, did, run your shit. They're called, they call them stick up kids. Okay. 
And anytime when it goes from winter to summer in this inner city is when the stick up kids come out, you know, it's not too cold. It's just cold enough where people are starting to walk around again because there's no snow on the ground. It's starting to warm up. So yeah, they call it stick up kid season. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they run your shit. They used a couple of other, you know, words. And uh, I didn't say a word to them. I kind of just smirked, laughed, like, yeah, right. You're not going to do this. And so the guy, you know, it was, yeah, it was run your shit. Like, you know, this is, this Give is me your stuff. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I gave them, you know, I gave them the chain and they left. But I'm, I, I got to say, I kept the nice chain. So. <laughs> So you're lying there, it's like the pain is ex excruciating. You're on the ground. I mean, you've been shot in yeah. your Achilles well, tendon. Yeah, being like being an athlete, like I played high school in football. I wasn't like a, I wasn't like out of shape. I wasn't like a kid that couldn't move. I knew I could have taken them both if they weren't, you know, they wanted to go hands on. But um, I was, I took a step back because that impact of that 40 caliber bullet from about 15, 10, 15 feet away it literally blew my leg back. Right. And, um, I must've been mid stride. Cause I was, I was backpedaling, like walking backwards. I had a big old hev heavy Timberland construct boot, um, brand new Pepe jeans. I remember that, um, the bullet went right through my leg. My, my, as I went to like get my footing with that foot, that got shot. I placed it planted, but my foot like collapsed. So I had, cause I had no Achilles tendons. So, uh, straight to my knees and you know, that's, they left and I tried hopping, but it was painful. <laughs> so I did like uh, you ever see like a kangaroo that does like the, the hop with their two hands on the feet when they're like eating off the ground. It, yeah. I, I call it like the kangaroo crawl. Um, but I remember that cause the impact of like trying to hop, it was like, eesh, eesh. And, uh, and you crawled your way back to your own home? Yeah, the neighbors who we all said hi to every day watched from the porch as I said, please call 911 or call the cops. I don't remember, something like that. They closed the doors and kind of turn off their patio lights. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's who they think I am. Okay. So... Um, I made it inside. I, I don't know. I unlocked the door, made it inside. My mom was working as always. She, that lady worked at the airport. I mean, always. And so I get on, I get the house phone and, oh, I chucked them my cell phone too. I chucked them like an idiot. I chucked them my cell phone too. So they took, they had my cell phone. And so luckily we had a house phone back then. <laughs> um, called my mom. Uh, it just got shot. She thought I was joking. And she kind of told in my voice that I wasn't joking. And she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Okay, I'm coming. All right. I call the cops. Hey, I've been shot, blah, blah, blah. This is what happened. Meanwhile, there's a pool of blood, like, forming around me. I'm on the floor in the living room, and I passed out. Cops woke me up. Or ambulance. Yeah, cops woke me up, uh, you know, cleared the scene and all that. Um, that, was, that was pretty nuts. Oh, and then, so my mom dated a cop of that town. She was dating this cop, and as they're loading me up into the ambulance, he shows up, gun out. Where did they, which way did they go? I'm like, oh, you're in that way. 
And uh, it was pretty crazy. You know what, though? Did, did uh, they find the guys? No, no. I found them. I found them. This is a crazy story. So we go. Okay. So I go to the trauma unit. They're, you know, they have me handcuffed. They put paper bags on my hands to test for gunpowder. The nurse is being all nasty. Oh, I don't know that fool. I don't know where he's from. I don't know. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. It's like, yeah, I understand what it is. And like, I'm, I, you know, I'm a person of color and in the inner city, they probably thought this had something to do with drugs. Some, you know, something, right? You so got handcuffed? You, you've been shot and you got handcuffed? They handcuffed me to the, they said until the detectives show up, we're just going to do this. They handcuffed me to the, to the, to the, uh, the bed and they put two paper bags, one on each hand, taped them. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, do what you got to do, man. But this shit hurts. You know, thanks for the, thanks for the, uh, the morphine. I was, I remember once that morphine hit though, everything was a lot more tolerable. So yeah. Oh, okay. So the more interesting, so they, they gave me a little interview, whatever. Uh, I stayed in for a week, I think. By the time I left, okay, first day out. I got my, I got my Vicodin prescription. It hurts a little bit, but Vicodin kind of makes it tolerable. My boys are like, hey man, Let's go hang out for a little bit. I'm like, let's do it. And they celebrate me because I'm like, he's a survivor of, of, of gun violence. You know, my boy, blah, blah, blah. And it's my cousin and, our and, our two and my other best friend and my other cousin. So four of us were just hanging out. Um, meanwhile, they're driving me to my, actually went to drop my cousin off, the one that lived two blocks away. Dropped him off. We're going to drop him off. We pass where, kind of where I live. And guess who we see walking down the street? My heart boys. sank. My heart <laughs> sank. And I said, there he is right there. <laughs> and he was alone. It wasn't two of them. It was just the one. And uh, my heart sank, man. And I, I honestly, I just reached out to the one, to my one friend who was driving. These guys hopped out. They grabbed baseball bats out of the trunk and they chased them. And if you can imagine, like the doors were open, they just left me and I'm like, I could barely get around. And I'm like, dude, please come back. Please come back. Please be okay. That was tough, man. <laughs> but uh, I, reached out, I reached out to my buddy, not too, like uh, probably like three, four weeks ago. I was like, hey man, I never told you this, but uh, I just, I, want, I appreciate what you did, but I'm, I, I never would have, uh, forgave myself if something would happen to you did they did they catch the guy he ran he ran he already had a he already had like a block distance and he must have heard them chasing him and he just he booked it so but nothing was done with the cops to have to i mean look you got a good look at them and they lived in the area that was a string of these things going on for probably two years in a row where it was, you know, they called it stick up kid season. And um, it was probably once a week, if that, maybe twice a week, they'd rob someone on the sidewalk, shoot them in the leg so they can get away. So, jeez, crazy, crazy times. <laughs> okay. So looking back on all that now, I um, mean, that's a lot of trauma. Yeah. Um, what were, what were the most obvious ways that this 
impacted your life, this, this experience with violence? I still had high school to finish. And I wasn't going to give up on high school. I was like, I'm, I'm almost done. Let me finish this, finish this year up. But uh, it was obviously everyone wants to know, gets wants to understand what happened. So every teacher was like, hey, you want to share with the class? And I'm like, yeah, let's talk about it. So I don't know what other kind of word to describe it, but I was, you know, everybody's like, there's the kid that got shot, you know. And I kind of had a VIP pass. I had the elevator key. So all, everyone wanted to be my friend so I could get them the elevator to, to the third floor for school. And uh, that was pretty cool. But uh, I am pretty sure that those kids went to the school. Pretty sure those kids went to the school. Um, you know, these guys had bananas on their faces, but I, you know, I recognize the footwear. Um, you know, I recognize the, the, the height, the weight, the build of these guys, you know. But uh, <laughs> they might have known me. They might not have. And again, I, I don't know who did it. I had, just had a really good feeling these kids went to my school. Um, but uh, being in the hospital, seeing the news channel put my front door on the TV. <laughs> you know, Allentown, man, da-da-da-da-da, Angel Rios, da-da-da. I'm like... Everything about me, everything about me. That's what you guys wanted to share with the world. So yeah, at that point I was, was like, these guys are going to come. Like, I don't know them, but I, that's, imagine the anxiety I was feeling. Sounds a bit. I mean, imagine that. <laughs> it was just, it was something I knew and I knew how easily, you know, a, an unfinished job could have been finished. I don't know what I was thinking. I knew I was dealing with the anxiety. I didn't know how to deal with this. You know, my, my mom worked, you know, she asked me once a day, how you doing? Good. She didn't really know what was happening, you know, inside. So how, how far in the past was this event being mm -hmm. shot? This was 2005. Okay. So between then and now, Mm -hmm. um, have you done any kind of therapy work to work through some, some of the meaning of all this? Is it just something that you've thought about a lot on your own and talked to people about on your own or just managed on your own? I mean, I mean, that's a pretty, yeah. pretty I, fair I guess, amount of trauma. Yeah, it is. I, I've mainly managed to, you know, I managed most of it, most of it myself. Um, they, it, a lot of it resulted in a severe, Anger issues, you know, v seeing those two run away after they did something, after they violated me like that, and just watching them run off and no results, no consequences for them. Um, it, uh, you know, after the healing process, it was mainly after the healing process, like it started developing the angers, the anger issues started developing as I'm healing. But as, as I'm starting to get mobile again, I can walk again, um, which, you know, that, that took a while. But um, are, you ang are you still angry now about what happened? No, no. If you were to ask me, okay, if I were to see those two, first thought in my mind, strike up a conversation with them. I have no fear. I have no fear of what would happen if they were to encounter me again. I don't, that's not, I don't think they would want to harm me, you know? 
And that's not because I have no idea of what they could be thinking, but this is a completely different time, a completely different place. The circumstances are different. Now, if they saw me on the sidewalk again and they're still hurting for cash and they, you know, but mind you, that was a while ago. Um, if I were to see them in a different place, different time, but I knew who they were and I was able to identify them, I, I would sit down at a table next to them or I'd walk up to them and I would honestly introduce myself to them, try to get to know them without even disclosing who they are or who I am. It would make a damn good scene in a movie. I mean, because this whole story is like HBO series or some, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but I'm just curious. How important you, is it to forgive, man? Well, forgiveness is wonderfully important. I, I don't think we could do enough of it, but I, I wonder though, are you, have you fully really put it at peace? I mean, are, is, is it possible that this anger is, Simmering in some unknown place that you don't quite know about. Do you ever want to worry about your the anger that's in you, or or that was in you? I mean, I'm just. Yeah, I think yeah, the anger that was in me. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, if I didn't have the support from both my mom, but even more so my wife, and them kind of understanding, like yo, he's going through something. He needs just a little extra slack that little extra slack was, it was all I needed, you know, had, had I not ex been given that little bit of slack and 10 plus years to figure it out. I didn't understand. I was going through PTSD. Nobody had that dialogue with me. Can you imagine that? Well, that's pretty much what Jason Kander said in our last episode. And, you know, he had the circumstance of being a soldier coming out of the army and, and questioning whether, you know, whether it was even appropriate for a soldier to even call it PTSD, especially in his case where he wasn't like on the front lines being shot at. And he wondered, do I even have the right to, um, you know, I, I consider like when my mom had a stroke and, you know, on a family vacation and, and I had to charter a plane to get her home from Mexico and all this crazy shit. And two weeks later she died when that period ended. I think I had a period of profound depression, PTSD, all that other stuff. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't get help for a uh, professional help for it, but I'm just, what would you say from this point of view, would you say, Hey, someone who's had uh, an event, a traumatic event like that, Hey, do yourself a favor, get help. Or do you feel like, Hey, I was lucky. I got the help and not, and everybody's life's different, but I got the help from the love of my family and, and I, I worked through it. I mean, or would you say, Hey, I wish I had gotten there faster with some help. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I would have been light years ahead had my, and I, I can't say like my mom didn't do it for me, but I mean, technically I was 18 at the time. I was an adult. My mom worked a lot she checked on me but she i don't yeah i don't know what she was she didn't ever say hey we should get you into some therapy um i absolutely would recommend people go see some kind of professional somebody to help them just you know identify what the, what it is they're going through i mean come on i for how long i didn't know it was ptsd until seven years ago when I moved to Arizona, I think it was, it just happened to click. And I was like, Oh wow. That's, 
that's what I was experiencing was PTSD. I thought I was just an asshole. Because, I mean, I'm going to tell you, through those, the, 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 the five, ten years after, I was, I was an emotional roller coaster. I was, I was a jerk. I was very, very emotionally unintelligent. People that said the wrong thing to me did the wrong thing to me. Let's fight right now. Let's go. Stop talking right now. Pulling over in gas stations, pulling over on the side of the street to box. What? I mean, come on. That's not even me. Like, that's not even the angel that you're looking at right now. But it was a completely different mindset. Well, I got to just tell you from everything you just said, it's you've covered like a massive amount of ground on your own. I mean, I, I do think certain families, there's, there are parents, there are experiences, and there's families that are more oriented to identify mental health issues and deal with them professionally. And some families where, it, you know, my mom definitely had a little bit of the, those are our problems and we, we go through them ourselves. And my mom, I, I know that I, I probably could have gotten uh, therapy and, and, and gotten help and moved more quickly through some of the issues that I, that I went through, but it was not in our family either uh, that, that talking about getting therapy, that was not something other families. It's like, Hey, the parents are like, Hey, you're going to go get therapy. Not, you know, even the parents have therapy, whatever. It's a different setting. I mean, you're, but all, I guess what I would say at this point, if you are suffering in any way, and you're getting your moments, whether it's a bad, a bad night where you're having a, a nightmare or some moment of anxiety, uh, you know, you're still entitled to say, maybe there are other things uh, that I still need to deal with. So I just encourage you to, you, you've identified and in a way self-diagnosed yourself and self-healed yourself, but at the same token, do yourself a favor. And if you ever feel, hey, um, this I'm, I'm in in the deep end here, and I don't know where I'm at. That you all re preserve the right to to get the help that you need because you've soldiered through so much. I could see you possibly continuing to soldier through and say, "Well, I got through. I was shot, so I think I'll deal with some other trauma uh, on my own." I mean, you look and sound like a strong and smiling. And, and, and my God, you have a new venture that has the word noble in it. Uh, you're posting uh, on Instagram about mental health awareness and wearing double denim to make a point about mental health awareness. So clearly you're rather, this issue is rather front and center. So, I mean, you're sharing a lot with us today. We'll probably have to have you back uh, for, another, for another chat down the road, the, the next part. But from the, from the point of view of 10 to 50, whatever number of years now from that big bang, uh, you're, where are you at? It seems like you're, you've made a lot of peace and you're sharing a lot of your joy and wisdom with people. Yeah. I could say I've never been in a better place in my life. You know, just starting with this podcast is beer vulnerable is veer, man. You guys are doing such incredible work, you know, it's for uh, creating a perspective from people to, to understand and, you know, create empathy. That's so important. Um, Nobleman's, the, the brand, the name, Noble, it comes from uh, what, four years ago, I was uh, volunteering with my local fire department, testing. I, you know, I took my EMT class and, you know, uh, doing ride-alongs with the fire departments. And um, I, I had a friend who kind of was like, hey, 
so you're you're you know you're you're testing. You want to be a firefighter? I'm like, yeah, man. That's 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 my goal. That's what I want to do. He's like, well, that's that's a very noble profession. And that word noble was kind of like, yeah, you know, it is. It it is because once when you see like what it means to be a public servant, you know, police officers, fire department, uh, firefighters, uh, EMTs, all and everybody in between, you know, uh, military service. There is a whole different level of selflessness that is required to be good at that, you know, to be a good professional public servant and to put other people before you, you know, it's, um, it's definitely something that stuck with me and getting to know all these different firefighters and learning their stories and little lessons that they teach you on a simple ride along or getting invited to a dinner at their firehouse, at their crew house. Um, and just these stories and just understanding what kind of quality people you're dealing with when you call 911 and the people are showing up at your house, you know, the, the other thing is, uh, you know, I've dealt with one aspect of, of like the fire department. And then when it comes to police, I've got, I've got cousins that are, they're NYPD, Maryland PD, like Baltimore, Maryland PD. Um, my stepfather is, is a, you know, police officer in a local, uh, well, he's a detective now, but, you know, in a, in a local city here. And not too long ago, he told me that he's like, you know, because obviously we've had these discussions. You and I have spoken about it, Albert, but him and I, we make sure we always touch on that part of, you know, the, like the mental health and, and being a public servant and getting his respect and how he sees things. Um, he is the most kind-hearted man I've ever met, ever met, you know, to be dealing with me as a stepson, oh, forget about it, you know, but uh, he, not too long ago, he told me, he's like, you know, sometimes I just want to, you know, like, I, I can't wait to He's like, it sounds terrible, but I can't wait to retire. You know, he's like, I've been doing this almost 20 years now. And time and time again, you meet people on the worst day of their lives at their lowest point. He's like, you understand what that does to someone? I mean, you you have the power to, to, to change it, make it or break it, you know, all within a conversation. When you're at that lowest point and when you're at that, you know, rock bottom or desperation line, like you know, a, a police officer, a firefighter, you know, any, any type of public servant can really just make a huge difference in your life. And do they extend the olive branch or, you know, do you get pepper sprayed in the face? <laughs> hurt people, hurt people. You've heard that, right? Yeah. Hurt people, hurt people. And that's, you know, that's why therapy is important. That's why going to see a, a, a you know, a support group or someone to help you through these dark times. How important is that? Because I, I could tell you right now at my angriest point, you know, it, you know, looking back at like one of my angry, I can't really like pick the day or whatever, but like those times where you're just on fire, like your head is on fire, your, your soul is on fire. And it's like, somebody please say something to me, please. So I could just go off on you, you know? Now imagine if you were in the worst place in your mind, the worst place in, in your life, the lowest of lows, the most desperate of times, and someone comes and says the wrong thing to you. You know, that's where empathy comes into play. It's like, well, shit. 
he was going through something. She was going through something. I can't even think, I can't even imagine what that, what it takes to, to, you know, to deal with that. Tell us, tell us the name of, uh, of your company. Nobleman's Apothecary. And you make belts, beautiful belts with big X's on them. Adam's got one of them. Yeah, we, know, yeah. we know it's a, it, it's a really big moment in your life. It feels like another transformational moment. There was a big bang. And of course, a big bang could be a gunshot, but a big bang can be creation. I mean, it's like the most ultimate biblical moment and even cosmic in, in terms of science, the big bang. So we're looking forward to, to seeing and watching you evolve from this new place where you are because you exude it. Uh, in your personality and your in your feed, and we we wish you the uh, you know the rest of your life with the absolute uh, absence of drama and trauma. You've had more than your your share uh, in, in your life, and we um, can only marvel at your strength, your fortitude, your sense of humor, your love, and uh, you know we're here. We'll definitely have you back. Let me say one thing before you guys finish. Um, I just want to challenge listeners to forgive for growth okay you never are fully aware of consequences until you see ugly what real ugly is you know always be kind um and just real quick two it's like two sentences uh my parting words for Vera vulnerable is Vera is keep friends in your thoughts and family nearby at the very least smile when strangers walk by keep your mind well fed allow your dreams to thrive and I hope to goodness one day that we catch your deep dive. Damn, man. Well, I can't go after that. That was pretty much perfect. <laughs> Dude, you spanned your whole life. And, you know, I'm glad to know you uh, here now. And, and I'm, I'm glad to, to know your journey because that makes who you are uh, today. So thank you, man. Thank you, guys. This has been another episode of the Veer, Vulnerabilis Veer. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. And I'm Angel Rios. Thank you for listening.